and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine, and we're excited to have Randy Gage on us with us today. Hey, Randy, how you doing? Yeah, doing great. Great to be with you. Super. You know, really excited to have you on because you just wrote a new book, and we want to talk about that. But first, for everybody uh, who doesn't know Randy, Randy Gage is uh, an author, he's a speaker, he's a businessman, very successful businessman. Randy believes that uh, you were born to be rich, people are meant to be inspired, and conventions should rock. And uh, we're going to talk about breaking some conventions today. Um, you believe a, a blog can change the world and a speech can change a life, and also that uh, risky is the new safe. Um, and that's the name of your new book. So uh, you excited about that? I am so excited. This is my ninth book, but the one it was the hardest one I ever wrote. And the only one I didn't want to let go. The uh, normally I finish and I'm like, wow, I'm done. Send it off to the publisher. This one I was literally uh, even after they were supposed to be at press. I was like, no, I got to add. There's one. I just found out what Mark Cuban is doing in the music scene. He's trying to change the business model. I got to add a paragraph on this. And hey, I just found out about a company in the UK that's doing some biogenetic engineering that's going to impact the future. And I got to add a paragraph about that. So uh, I didn't want to let it go. I still, if, if they weren't printing it right now, I'd still be adding more to it. <laughs> well, that's one thing you know you can tell from your blog. You know, Randy's rants and, and your other writings is that you stay very current on on the uh, subjects and, and and happenings of the day. And uh, this book, um, I, I'm about halfway through. I have to admit, I'm only halfway through. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's about shaking things up and uh, risky is the new safe. Tell me about how you came up with that title and what that means. Yeah, I grew up, my mother told me, go to school, get an education, and get a job for a big company. And that's the safest thing. And, and I think mothers all over the world and fathers all over the world told their kids the same thing. Today, that's the riskiest thing you could do. I grew up in a time they said, well, here in the United States, you know, work hard, pay your taxes, and then when you get to be 62, you're going to retire, and they're going to, the government is going to provide you with Social Security. Well, now, that's the riskiest thing you could do. You know, if you think, well, I'm working for a company, I'll work for them for 40 years, and then I'll retire, they'll give me a pension plan and a gold watch. That's the riskiest thing you could do. You can't, the rules have changed. And that's really what the book is about, is that the things that worked even two, three, five years ago, they don't work anymore. So if you want to create wealth today, you have to change your approach. You have to think differently. And that's really the, the impetus for the book. Yeah, and you know, we talk a lot in the book, uh, you know, about the changes occurring. Is this really driven, you think, by technology in the next, in the last uh, 20, maybe 10 years? Technology is one of the biggest drivers because um, online marketing, the way it's accelerating, in particular mobile. Mobile changes everything, everything about marketing, everything about communicating, everything about business, everything about almost everything because mobile it will be the biggest change of all. 
and 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 other things. You know, the the lines between broadcast media and cable media and uh, internet created content. All those lines are disappearing. You know, Netflix is making their own content now. People are, YouTube is grooming their own stars now. Um, there'll be a point where if people say, well, if I'm, like I take here in Miami, you know, we have 100, 150 channels on the cable system. People say, how many channels will there be? Is it going to be 500 channels? No, I, we're going to get to a point, and I mean really soon, where there'll be seven billion channels because everybody's going to create their own channel. And they're going to say, I want Seth Godin's blog and Randy Gage's RSS feed and all of the X Factor shows for the U.S., U.K., Australia, and the lunar, uh, episode, the lunar version. I want all the new stuff from Maroon 5 and Nickelback. I want all the sequels to Avengers and Batman and Terminator. I want uh, these books. I want my stock quotes. I want my bank statements. I want my uh, Empire Avenue feed. I want my Twitter feed, my Facebook feed, my Tumblr feed, blah, blah. Blah, blah. And this is all just going to come, and, and even the, the lines between the screens are going to disappear. So you'll get it on your wristwatch, you'll get it on the screen on your car, you'll get it on your smartphone, you'll get it on your tablet, you'll get it on your PC. When you, you know, when you're in the car, it's going to show on the car. When you get out of the car, it's going to come up on the screen on your smartphone. When you walk in your house, it's going to jump onto the eight-foot screen in your living room. When you walk and sit down at your desk, it's going to migrate to your uh, your monitor. Uh, and it's just going to follow you everywhere you are. And so the line between those screens, that's all going to disappear. The line between the the networks and who created the content, that's all going to disappear because you don't care who created the content. You don't create. You don't care what network it's on or what they, you don't care about their branding or their profits. You just want the content you want when you want it. And so things like this, this is an example of how technology is going to disrupt so many things, disrupt millions of jobs requiring retraining, millions of jobs that will be eliminated. And, of course, and the book is not about the gloom and doom. The book is all about the opportunities that are going to be created by all those disruptive changes. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you know, this is futurist talk, but, uh, you were talking in the book, I was reading about the fact that you can start predicting things like the DVR are, are telling us that this is exactly the way we're going, right? Yeah, because there's a fascinating book by Dan Burris along with John David Mann. It's called Flash Foresight. And in there, he d- delineates the distinction between, uh, linear trends and cyclical trends, like real estate, right? Real estate price go up, go down, that's cyclical. A linear trend is not cyclical. Uh, if you take broadband, right, the access to broadband, the speed of broadband, that's just a linear trend. It's going to get keep getting quicker. It's going to keep getting more accessible. It's going to keep getting cheaper. Then there's hard trends and soft trends. And Dan has a funny, funny story in the book. He talked about it was like a year after the death of Elvis Presley. And he did a chart of the the percentage of people in the world who were becoming Elvis impersonators. (laughs) And according to this chart, which is about a year after the death of the king, Within, I forget the time frame, say it's 10 years or 15 years or whatever, but according to this chart, within that time frame, every single person on earth would be an Elvis impersonator. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, obviously, that didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? Because that's a soft trend. That was, you know, Elvis was at his peak right before his death. He was the biggest star in Las Vegas. He had sold all these millions of records. Then he, you know, he died, and the whole world was, you know, you know, sentimental and struck by him and saddened and grieving him. And so the the trend was this big percentage of people were turning into Elvis impersonators. But that's a soft trend. So here's the main point for everybody listening to this today on how do you create wealth? How do you create success? How can you predict the future? The future can be predicted with a stunning degree of accuracy when you understand the distinction between hard trends and soft trends, when you understand the distinction between linear trends and cyclical trends. So you don't need to be magic. You don't need to be mystical. You don't need a crystal ball. You can see where trends are going. And then what I'm doing in Risky is the New Safe is I'm showing you, hey, look at, here's how to project where trends are going. Now look for the challenges that those are going to create, and they will create challenges, serious, uh, you know, almost seemingly insurmountable challenges in a lot of cases, and that's where the opportunities are. That's where people become wealthy. Yeah, you know, you, um, you talk in the book about thinking that, you know, I'll get into that in a second. You know, um, one of the things I really love is that uh, most of the time when you get news like this, it's like a stock tip. By the time you get it, it's already it's already done its course. It's already burned out. You're already on you know you're already on the other side of it, and you're not going to make any money off of it. But you're talking here about if you can predict these trends, if you can see these trends happening, and you can zig while everybody else is zagging, you're going to be very successful. Did you talk about that? Yeah, because what are all the business consultants teaching today? They're, you know, the, the buzzword is being nimble, right? Every company wants to be nimble so they can respond to change. Well, you know what? That doesn't work anymore. Nimble worked 10 years ago. You could, you know, hey, this happened. Wow, we've got to respond to this. Let's react quickly. Let's, you know. Now, now change, particularly like in the technology arena, change happens so fast that, being nimble is no longer a viable strategy. You have to get in front of the trends. You know, my friend Ken Dykewald, uh, the guy who wrote Age Wave and some Body Mind and some other really brilliant books, uh, when he's talking about the, the Age Wave, he's talking about the, the baby boomers. And the example he uses of them is they've migrated across the decades. Um, you know, the example he uses is like an elephant charging across the continent. And everybody's running behind the elephant, shooting arrows in its butt. And the smart person would say, no, I need to get out in front of the elephant and dig a really big hole. That's how it is with trend. You can't be nimble. There's not enough time to be nimble. You've got to see where is the future going, what are those problems that are going to be created in that future, and then how can I help people solve those problems? Because once you do that, you will have people joyfully, gratefully, lovingly crawl naked over broken glass to throw money at you because you can make their problems go away. <laughs> Great. You're saying uh, move fast. One of your uh, chapters is move fast and break things. It seems that uh, most people are always waiting till everything's perfect before they move. And I love that, uh, that you know, you talk about get out there and just do. Have a plan, but do. 
Yeah, move fast and break things was that was kind of the mantra of Mark Zuckerberg and his tribe out there in California as they were starting up Facebook and plotting their world domination. You know, and right. uh, the you 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 come up with a plan, you think it out, you got to execute it. The the not perfect plan executed today is always better than the plan, the perfect plan you're waiting to perfect before you execute it. And when you look at, as you know, in that chapter I'm looking at people like Mark Zuckerberg and Mark Cuban and Steve Jobs and uh, you know people, entrepreneurial success stories like this, and how do they think? And, uh, you know, they don't overanalyze things. You know, they think things through. They, play, you know, they don't jump off crazy, but they look at it and they say, okay, here's the downside. Here's the potential upside. Here's what I think we should do. Let's do it. So they get into action, and I think that's true for all successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, and what, um, we were talking about the fact that this book, and you, you're always you're always trying to turn things on their head, and this book is is definitely uh, uh, talking about that. And two of the chapters, one is ego for success, and selfishness is the new altruism. Um, could you talk about that? Yeah, both those chapters are the controversial ones. There's, there's certainly going to be thousands of people who are going to have problems with them. Uh, but it's, I'm just being real. You know, if you take the ego one, um, I'm doing something not unlike Napoleon Hill. And that was kind of, as you know, uh, this was kind of my my uh, secret goal for myself was I really wanted to write the book Think and Grow Rich 2013. Right. That's really my was my working uh, formula for this book, because that you know the original was so impactful to me. And of course, what did Napoleon Hill do there? Is you know he got you in the front door with Think and Grow Rich, which is hey, here's how you come and make money, and then in, he kind of got you through the back door to saying, and it's about character and work and self discipline, and here's the things you have to do to become rich. And and he did something else which was kind of interesting. You know, he had the chapter on channeling sexual energy, you know, transmutation of sexual energy. And think about it, you know, that was 50, 60 years ago. I mean, that was that was shocking. I mean, people just didn't talk about that stuff in, in, in polite conversation and business how-to books. I mean, that was that was way, way out there. Um, and I'm doing a similar thing in this book. I mean, I'm bringing you in the front door. Hey, look at Zuckerberg and Jobs and Gates and, you know, the, the, the new billionaires today and how wealth is created. And let's look at technology and mobile and the cloud and all of these trends and how they're impacting. And here's how you can become wealthy. And then, of course, in the back door, I'm saying, and here's some character, some self-discipline things that you're going to need to do as well. And and one of those things, one of those chapters that you mentioned is the ego. Because go back to Think and Grow Rich and the people that Hill profiled and interviewed for 20 years. Ford, Firestone, Carnegie, Wanamaker, Edison. Uh, Nobody would accuse those people of having a small ego. Fast forward to today. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs, you know Richard Branson, Zuckerberg, Cuban, uh, Oprah, Meg Whitman at eBay. Would anybody accuse any of those people of having a small ego? I don't think so. No. So what that chapter in the book is about 
is how these high, high, high level achievers channel their ego for success. Much like Hill was talking about channeling your sexual energy, I believe the top level achievers, I believe what we do is we channel our ego. Now, there's probably, I'm sure there's people listening to this interview right now saying, well, wait a minute, I know a guy with a big ego and he's just a jerk. Please understand, that's not what I'm talking about. The guy who's telling you how good he is all the time, or the guy who's always telling you why he's better than you, that's not a guy with a healthy ego. That's a very insecure guy. You know, all narcissism comes from insecurity. I'm talking about a healthy ego, which, and here's one of the things I say in the book that will, you know, I, I, I think a lot of listeners to your stuff, JW, will probably get this, but outside of that, it may seem strange to people, but, you know, I say in the book, the desire to be great and to be recognized for greatness is not bad. It's good. Well, it's funny because Oprah, you know, you talked about Oprah and you talked about, uh, you know, having an ego. Uh, Eckhart Tolle and Oprah were single-handedly trying to make ego a bad word for a while. So you're talking, well, I like that you're talking about the healthy ego. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, ego is just beat up. Every self-development office, every inspirational speaker, there must be uh, 2,000 or 5,000 speakers who talk about ego is E-G-O, edging God out, and egomaniacal and egotistical, and ego is bad. No. Ego, as you know in the book, what I go, there was a chapter in, a different book by Napoleon Hill. He wrote a book called uh, The Master Keys to Riches. And there's just one page in there that just jumps out at me. He gets this list of ingredients from the science supply store. How much oxygen, how much nitrogen, how much this, how much that. And, you know, it costs about five bucks. And then you find out that if you put all of these ingredients together, that's, you could build a human body with them. It costs about five bucks. So even allowing for inflation and everything, I think you could still buy all of the ingredients from the Science Supply website now to construct a human body for about, you know, under 25 bucks. Because a big part of it's oxygen and stuff that you can get pretty readily, right? Right. Um, But, so what's the difference between that $25 or whatever it costs worth of ingredients from the supply house and a human the difference is consciousness. Right. And ego is the mechanism we use to perceive our consciousness. So it's a very necessary thing. And a, here would be the bottom line that I think people would really, you guys listening can appreciate. It's you, your ego controls you or you control your ego. And I think what you see the successful people doing is they control their ego. They channel it. And selfishness. Um, I've always believed that uh, selfishness is not necessarily a bad word. You have, it's like the woman in the plane who needs to give oxygen to herself before the baby uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a bad situation. Uh, you need to take care of yourself first. You need to take care of your stuff first. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, because all the conventional thinking, of course, the worst thing you could, the worst insult you could ever tell someone is that they're selfish. But Ayn Rand, who's obviously known best for Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, I think her best book might have been another one, which was a collection of essays called The Virtue of Selfishness. And she talks about selfishness in the positive connotation of 
getting your own needs met of enlightened self-interest. And for all those people listening who are, and there's a bunch of them listening right now, I'm sure, that you take care of everybody. You're the mom or you're the dad, and you take care of your elderly parents, and you take care of your kids, and you take care of everybody at work, and you're the volunteer at church, and you're the volunteer at this, and, you know, you're out there saving the world. Well, if you don't get your own needs met first, you can't help anybody. So you can throw out Gandhi or Mother Teresa or whatever, the most noble spiritual person that you can name, and I will show you how they actually practiced enlightened self-interest and were selfish, but selfish in a positive way. And what that chapter in, in, in the book is about is about how we move from self-consciousness to cosmic consciousness. Where you start to, you reach a point where you say, okay, I, like, I, you know, I reached that point some years back. I made a lot of money. I got sports cars. I got houses. I got clothes. I got trips. I got, you know, freedom. Uh, you get to a point where it's, okay, it's not how much more money can you make. It's what, what more of a difference can you make. And you move from success to significance. And that's about contribution. And so that's what that chapter is about. But again, it'll be it'll be shocking to many new readers who never looked at never looked at it that way. I'll tell you what was shocking to me, and, and what I probably have the biggest or the hardest part with in your book, and that's um, the difference between neoclassical and uh, was it Keynesian uh, economics that you talk about. Yeah, you're pretty rough on the uh, on. Uh, John Maynard Keynes, right? <laughs> well, it's just crazy craziness. It's absolute craziness. It's like the emperor with no clothes, and nobody wants to say he has no clothes. You have the U.S. has a $16 trillion deficit. I mean, and there are these Keynesian economists who say, well, you know, the deficit doesn't matter as long as it doesn't, uh, uh, you know, go over this percentage of GDP. You can still print more money than you need, and, you know, you can spend more than you take in. <laughs> no. <laughs> two plus two equals four. If you have $4, you can't spend $8. That's just the way it works. If right. you spend 8 you went four in the hole. And at some point, the four extra has to be paid back. And it's like governments think that they're immune from this. Like, it'd be like somebody saying, well, I don't like gravity. You know, I'm choosing not to participate in gravity. I'm going to think positive. I'm going to visualize. I'm going to affirm. I choose not to participate in gravity. I watched The Secret 27 times, and so now I can, I can avoid gravity. Um, no, if you're on this planet, you will be susceptible to the forces of gravity. And you're susceptible to the universal laws of prosperity. And they apply whether you're a person or a government. So, as you know, in the book, I'm actually predicting the euro is going to collapse and disband. Um, and it's funny, I wrote that on my blog, you know, as I was working on the book, I was posting excerpts on some of my, you know, on my blog. And about six, eight months ago, I said, you know, the euro's going to collapse, it's going to break. And, and people thought I was a lunatic. Now, of course, my biggest fear was that the, the euro was going to collapse before the book came out. I mean, it's so obvious now that the euro will never last. Um, 
But, yeah, because, again, you've got a, a governments there who think they don't have to live by universal laws of prosperity, like that they don't apply to them. And, and you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that dog don't hunt. Okay. So let's talk about the book as a whole. Uh, the reason I know you're shaking up a lot of things and, and, and putting a lot of good information out there, but what, what is the – What's the goal, and who are, who are the people you're trying to reach, and what will people get from this? What's their takeaway? Yeah, here's the bottom line of everything we've talked about today. Here's the bottom line. Why did I write the book, and why is it important that people desperately need to read this book? Here's why. The people who are listening to the sound of our voices right now, most of them listening to this interview will be alive and experience the opportunity to vacation on the moon, buy a home on the floor of the ocean with a coral reef view, and score the winning cup, you know, the winning goal in the World Cup for their country. Although the third one will probably be done via virtual reality in a hollow suite somewhere. Now, this is not stuff. I'm not talking about 40 years from now, 60 years from now, 100 years from now. Richard Branson is going to be putting tourists into space next year. There's a hotel uh, in the South Pacific that has a biosphere room that you go down to for two days on the ocean floor right now. It's already open. You know, virtual reality is coming fast. Um, So we're talking stuff in the next decade. So here's the most important point of this whole book and why I wrote it. We live in the most exciting time in human history. There's never been a better time to be alive. There's never been a more exciting time to be alive. And there's never been a better time to create wealth and manifest prosperity than right now. But here's the catch. Millions and millions of people don't know it because they're watching the news. They're reading the newspapers. They're buying into the mind viruses, the the conventional wisdom. You got to have money to make money. You got to get in at the top. You got to know people. You need this education. You need to be from that kind of family. You got to be from the other side of the tracks. It has never been easier to go from broke to multimillionaire. It's never been a shorter time frame to go from destitute to multimillionaire than it is right now today. And millions of people don't know that. And that's why I wrote the book. I want them to know that. That's what the book is about. That's what my work is about. You know, at the end of the day, I'm a prosperity guy. That's what the book is about, is how people can go out and manifest their prosperity. And that's why I wrote Risky is the New Safe. So where, where can we find this book? Where can we, where can we get this stuff? Yeah, I have a website set up. Just I've got a video take you through the book, the chapters, and a little more about why I wrote it. And that site is riskyisthenewsafe.com. So it's just the same as the book title, riskyisthenewsafe.com. And you can actually pre-order the book right now so that you'll get a copy from the first printing, the first edition that comes off the press as soon as it comes out. The release date is October 30th. Well, this, has been, this has been excellent, Randy. I so thank you. I know you're busy as heck, uh, you know, with the uh, book release and everything that's going on. And I know your schedule, so I appreciate any time that you were able to give us today. This is J.W. Najarian with On Purpose Magazine, speaking to Randy Gage about his new book, Risky is the New Safe. So go to riskyisthenewsafe.com and pick up the book. Randy, thanks again. 
Hey, thanks. Great to be with you, JW. I love the work you're doing. All right. Well, we'll be talking on the web. All right. Thanks a lot, JW. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is JW Nigerian for All on Purpose Magazine. Everybody have a great day and a better tomorrow. Thank you for listening to our Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Meta Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.